0: Hi, this is Dina, Senior Producer at the Telly Awards. Are you a talented creative ready to show the world a new point of view with your work? We want to see it. We're currently open for entries and the early deadline for submission is December 10th. The Telly Awards honors the best of video and television across all screens, but that's not all we do. Subscribe to receive the Telly Awards newsletter to stay up to date on our season, uncover inspiration and trends for your work, or be connected to the best talent this industry has to offer. You'll get access to past Telly Award winners from around the globe, trends and insights not available outside our database, including features with executive talent on our original series, Hot Takes, and first notice of our exclusive TeleAward events and programming. Make sure you sign up for free at the bottom of the page at TeleAwards.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Telly Awards podcast. I'm your host, Executive Director of the Telly Awards, Sabrina Dredge. As an award honoring video and television across all screens, I'm incredibly lucky to be able to meet some truly inspiring people, from feature film directors to post-production geniuses, immersive media editors to branded content producers. We wanted to share a new platform to highlight these amazing creatives and visionaries, but also to investigate the following question. What can we learn by bringing together two guests with similar expertise in different disciplines share their craft, debate their differences, and find the common ground in their form of storytelling. The conversations will surprise us, entertain us, and we hope ultimately leave us inspired with new perspectives. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with our future monthly episodes, but for now, on with the show. We're thrilled to kick off this season in conversation with Vanessa Rojas, lead editor for the interactive animation studio dubbed the Pixar and VR, Baobab Studios, and Fernando Ramirez, a leading editor across some of the most internationally known reality TV franchises, including spin-offs of The Jersey Shore and 90 Day Fiance. We chatted linear versus non-linear editing, the indisputable role of having deep, deep pockets of patience in this line of work, and the guests shared some great love and respect for each other's craft, as different as it may be. Let's start at the start, where you began your careers and how this kind of led you to editing VR, in your case, Vanessa, and reality TV, in your case, Fernando. But Vanessa, starting with you, if we may, you're currently the lead editor at critically acclaimed interactive animation studio, Baobab, which has been referred to as the Pixar of VR, no less. And I know that you also had a stint at Pixar back in the day, but we'd love to hear how your career started and how it's kind of moved over time towards a kind of expertise in virtual reality.
2: So I, I went to UCLA film school, grad school, and I graduated in 08. And I went right away to Pixar. So that was where I started. That was the beginning. And, you know, what's interesting is it wasn't so much that I was in love with animation necessarily. I just love storytelling in general, as a general, just all across the board. But that's part of it. It was in my film school career as well. I just like to jump around and try all kinds of different things. So I never focused on any one thing except editing. I always loved that was always the context was editing. So even though I went for the directing program, we tried all different things and I just fell in love with editing. So, it was that and really why I wanted to go to Pixar is because the story is king there. That's one of their big sayings story is king. So, I thought, oh, I love story so much. I love the 3X structure. So, I'm going to go learn more there. And that's exactly what happened. I was there for three years. I worked on Brave and Toy Story 3, and it was amazing. But then, you know, again, it's like, this is just who I am. I'm like, okay, what's next now? So, I moved on and I went to GoPro Media and I went to the user generated content department there
1: I didn't even know that was a thing yeah so it was so much fun because
2: we would take users content and we would try to make make interesting stuff out of it and we worked with them and we would you know they're not filmmakers they're not professionals they just like to do whatever their sport or whatever it is that they're doing so we would get that footage and we'd have to make something out of it and that was incredibly fun for me but that was way more doc oriented and that got me into some 360 work that they started getting into and it was in 360 work So it's not, that's not the same as virtual reality, but it's closer to this idea of this, you can turn all around and see everything. And there's not really cuts. I mean, you can do cuts, of course, but it's not really about that. It's much more about that encompassing immersive experience. And that was like, Ooh, I love this. So then I, that's when I started and then I left GoPro, same thing. It's like once something, once I feel like, Oh, I kind of get this and this is really cool and get a little, like, I don't want to plateau. I get a little bored. So I'm like, okay, what's next? And that's when I moved into VR and that was just knowing people from Pixar. And there was this great project, a Neil Gaiman project at Fable studio that was VR. And my friend from Pixar called me and said, We need someone who has live action and animation experience. And that's such few editors have that. And so he's like, I thought of you right away as my friend Bradley from Pixar. And I said, yes. And that's how I got into VR.
1: And now I'm here. That's amazing. What year was it when you first started in VR? and at the time was that still just kind of a burgeoning thing yes at
2: least in the way that fable was trying to do the interactivity they they broke they they pushed a lot of envelopes it, it was originally oculus story studio under facebook but then they broke away and did fable it became its own thing so that was 2017 vr had already been existing but in terms it was still just it still is a lot of wild westy kind of world and so even more in 2017 if you imagine how quickly technology moves 2017 is like whatever 15 years ago in like regular thinking
1: totally so it's still like experimentation phase yeah, i'm sure tons. fascinating and also starting at pixar out of school well done taking my hat off <laughs> that set you up really well
2: <laughs> yeah that was a wonderful foundation for
1: sure fernando for you you in a different way, have over a decade of experience, if not more editing, and editing some of the most internationally known, we should say, television properties, including spin-offs of The Jersey Shore, and of course, 90 Day Fiance. How did you get your start? And how did your journey start to bring you towards working within the reality television realm?
0: I went to college at uh, Cal State Northridge. I went to film school there. There we had to do an emphasis, you know whether it's cinematography, post or whatever and I chose editing' because, you know I chose post and editing because you know something about being the guy who assembles the whole thing puts it all together seemed like the right path for me, so I took that and At a college, I started working for a post house. It was a post service house for episodic television shows like e r the West Wing. We did a lot of telecine dubs, color online very technical I was there you know entry-level PA, and they knew I wanted to become an editor. And it was one of the directors over at Warner Brothers Television who, when he came to pick up some stuff, he found my demo, and he said, if you want to be an editor, there's a lot of opportunities in reality television. We're actually taking some people who do the crossover. So he said, you might have a hard time or you might have a longer wait trying to go this route. So there was an opportunity with somebody I knew, and I jumped on. And I started, you know, PA, Vault, assistant editor, worked my way up, and in 2008, 2009, started doing the junior broadband editor and got my full series in 2009. And ever since then, just been doing unscripted reality television.
1: It's fascinating. And you've done literally all of them. I was looking at your resume. And I was like <laughs> This guy has worked on every single thing that was ever created in the last decade. <laughs> Jumping into... I'm gonna call it a philosophical question, but actually I think it's more a process question. When you're starting a new project, what are the first things that go through your mind? I.e., Where do you start? You're looking at this new project. I should imagine that editing something interactively and non-linearly, you're starting from a different point of view from reality TV, but what's the very first thing you do when starting a new project it really depends on the project
2: for for sure it depends on the project because sometimes well especially given you know the trajectory of my career it can just start with the footage a lot of times it just starts with the footage and and that's With something like a GoPro consumer, you know, footage, it's like, okay, that's it. That's the limitation. And that's where it starts. And so it's just looking at that and trying to find a through line to then make the decisions to pull it down. I mean, to me, it's just literally, I love looking at literally every frame of footage. Like I love that. That's one of my favorite parts of editing is to watch everything and to have an in mind, like what the through line is. And then like mark clips, you know, I just, I love that part. So that would be like in a more traditional narrative kind of, whether it's, whether it's doc or like narrative live action. But with animation, it's really different. We start in the very beginning, my personal place I like to begin is to talk to the director about what exactly, what are we doing? What's the vision? What is that through line? I, I use this word a lot through line. It basically just means the spine of the thing. Like what's the theme? What are we trying to do? And then building from there. And though that's just, I always start with a, a conversation with a director that is like my absolute number one thing. I just want to know what we're all trying to work towards. Because I think it's very easy to be like, well, here's what I think with the story. And somebody else goes, well, here's what I think. Here's what I think. It's like, how do you, it's so subjective. There needs to be, it's the director that needs to come in and say, this is what we're doing. I can't work without the director. understand, And it doesn't mean that the director has to be there right next to me all the time, but that conversation, we just need to be absolutely on the same page. It's the only way that we can then have a conversation about what shot to keep or not, or does this cut work or not. Otherwise, it's just a thing of like, I like it better. And that just, those conversations are never useful.
1: Well, Fernando, for you, where do you start? And in a similar question in terms of the director, is that where you start as well when you're working on these projects?
0: Well, usually if I'm starting a new gig, a new show, the first thing I think about is who the audience is and in television in particular, what network am I working for? You know, what are they expecting to see? Who's watching this channel? And also, you know, the client is the network executive. The viewer is the audience, but the client is a network executive. So I'm just, I'm trying to see what they're expecting to see. So usually I'll dip in, I'll watch some of that television and I'll see what the format, the style, things like that. But then, you know, typically the first person I talk to is, is a story producer or an executive producer. They... Indoctrinate me into what's going on with the show, what the feel is, what they're looking for, uh, what they expect out of me. But usually, I tend to try to focus on who's watching the show and what they're expecting to see.
2: Can I ask a question? I'm so curious. I'm just so curious about your work for Dendo. Do you watch a lot? Do you watch a lot of episodes of the show? Like, let's say it's going to be a show. Do you watch a bunch of those episodes before you walk into a meeting, or? do you not do that?
0: I try to be as prepared as possible. But you know, times limited. So I can't really watch, you know, I can't binge 12 hours of, of a show, you know (laughs) what I mean? So, so I'll, I'll pick, you know, typically, I'll pick some of the older and the newer more, the more recent stuff, you know, some of the older episodes, and I'll, I'll try to be as prepared as possible. But obviously, you know, I'm not just going in there and emulating what people did before I try to give a fresh take. But you also have to kind of emulate. You have to come in and and try to jump on the wagon and do what they're doing. You know what I mean? Give them what they expect to see.
1: As a series is being shot, are you already starting your editing process or do you have to wait till everything's been captured?
0: Depends on the gig. Some shows uh, we do not exactly a predator, but somewhere like that where the raw footage is brought to us. It gets grouped together, all the different camera angles by the assistant editors, but there is no cut to be said. We're, we're given a large group of live footage, and we start editing from there. And, you know, we'll take what we can from production. We'll take hot sheets and notes and thoughts, and we'll we'll take all the input in, but we'll start from the raw. Most shows I've done, like docu-reality series, like Jersey Shore, for example, it'll have what we call story producers or story department. And they will do what they call string outs, or it's basically a rough assembly of the scene I'm doing. You know, they'll, they'll cut the major fat that we don't need, and they'll put together... A very basic, not even a radio edit, just a very basic assembly of what we should be seeing to to try to get us up to speed. They'll work with us to make sure that story is tracking from episode to episode, from act to act. It really is a collaborative thing. But like I said, it depends on the show. We've done certain shows that are like stage type shows. That's the thing. When we talk about unscripted television or reality television, there's so many subgenres within there. But if let's say we're talking about reality television, like a docu-reality, like Jersey Shore, for example, which is a well-known one, where you have these people going around town and cameras following them with multiple angles. Yeah, that'll typically have a story department that we work with, and they'll give us something that's somewhat prepared and we'll take it from there.
1: They'll kind of hand over the emotional beats that they would like you to hit whilst you start the process.
0: Yes, and sometimes it's done by act, but nowadays it's done more by scene. So they'll assemble what they think a scene is, and I'll go and take it from there, you know, really, as they say, make it sing.
1: Is that the same for you, Vanessa?
2: No, definitely not. So different. In animation, especially, we start with a storyboards, and then that is literally like you starting at zero. I mean... It depends on the director, of course, like Eric Darnell, who I'm working with now, he is such a writer through and through. He's just a writer and he loves to see stuff up on its feet in boards for sure. But he likes to spend time getting jokes down in his mind. And, you know, he's very, very writerly. So I, as the editor have to adjust to that because he'll get boards. He'll have a board storyboard artist do boards. And right away I start editing, but we are iterations with him are just constant he just wants to iterate and iterate and iterate and sometimes he'll do it on the page sometimes he'll do it on boards it really just depends on his mood or how well we might like the timing that I have versus his you know it's 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 a lot of factors but from the very beginning it's like the page with some of his ideas and then from there it's like I'm on board so it's it's actually very different but with live action stuff I have worked on it's much more like what Fernando is describing but not for animation Animation's like from day one you're I'm kind of there Helping Eric see or whoever the director see what his ideas look like in a roughed out you know two d format, which can be tricky with v r because then you have to translate that into v r and that's a whole other adaptation that takes a whole other set of skills, so it's actually really fascinating.
1: Listening to both of you, this work demands such an attention to detail and such patience, and I know that hand on heart <laughs> i couldn't I couldn't do it, but in your minds, what skills and mindsets do you think are kind of critical? in doing this work so this work being an editor more generally but then more specifically what skills and mindsets do you have to have to work as an editor in VR and in reality television Vanessa let's start with you on that one
2: sure I think specifically for VR and this is a tough one I think for a lot of editors because editors as a general tend to be very like this is the way you do things and you know because it's organization it's it's as you say, it's detail. It's very important. We're the only ones who ever seem to care about like the, like the details. It's like, it can be so frustrating. Like, no, I can't just do that thing you think is so easy. That's a lot of work. Like, you know, it's like a lot of this defending of like the our process but we keep everything organized we are the ones that literally know everything like when a director will say like oh i'd love to re-record this line where this character says this and it's like we have that like and i'm the one that knows you know we're editorial department knows that stuff So, so it's so much about organization so definitely an organizational brain but in vr You have to, because it's like a wild west, technology's moving, people have ideas, like you have to adapt your system to the new ways of telling a story because it's so weird and different. And sometimes a a person can come along, an engineer that has this really cool idea, then that means you have to adjust all this stuff on your end to accommodate that. And that has to be exciting and fun for you. If you go, damn it, that ruins everything. And that's your reaction. VR is really not for you and that's okay. I know plenty of wonderful editors who would have that reaction and they're great doing what they're doing. They're just not right for VR. You have to have that like, oh wait, what are we trying to do? Okay, that messes
1: this all up, but let me do this and this and this and that that should feel like exciting. Like problem solving. Absolutely. It's like the difference between working in a startup versus a big corporate structure exactly exactly, which are both equally valid but very different what about for you Fernando what kind of skills and mindsets do you think folks need
0: yeah to be a team player you have to work in a team but you have to be very patient because in in reality tv you're taking input from so many different people and so many different levels and changes are happening all the time I mean it's not like there's one round of notes two round of notes I mean these things are getting changed all the time we're redoing complete scenes we're changing styles we're changing the entire story all the time you know what I mean So you have to be patient because you'll do something that you think is great and they'll come and change it completely for something that's, it's a very practical reason, not because you failed as an editor and not because it wasn't working. It's mainly because sales are legal. You know, somebody, they can't show that person's face. So you have to change it all. You have to lose that entire beat because... We couldn't use it. So you have to be very patient in that. And uh, you have to be a team player because nowadays it's very rare that you're the only editor on a show. And even less on an act or even a scene. Sometimes we're working on a very tight deadline. We have to get things out all the time. I mean, two, three, four times a week. Almost every day we're getting cuts out. So sometimes we need to get things done and we have to split up a scene. Subsequence that scene. Take half of it and I'll take the other half. Okay, so you have to be able to work with the other editor. You guys have to be on the same page as to what's going on on, sometimes we will inherit other people's work where you'll take a round of notes that's further down the line on something that you've never worked on before. You have to be and uh, the team aspect. You also have to be very respect- respectful of the, the person before you, their work that they did. You know, you don't want to just go in there with an axe and start changing everything around. You want to really take all the input of what the changes are that they want to do. You want to be respectful of the work before and you want to make sure you're making it better at all times. So patience, the team aspect. And you just really have to be able to roll with the punches. I mean, it could be very stressful and sometimes you can get very beat down for reasons that are beyond your control and you just have to really just keep a positive attitude and keep moving forward.
2: That gave me a mini heart attack hearing you talk about the three to four a week.
1: As a producer mindset, which is normally how I live my life, that gives me such anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also knowing yeah. that I would be the character telling you, "We need to get this done in like twelve <laughs> hours." <laughs> right, right Honestly, it's impressive.
0: There is one last thing I want to mention. I had mentioned. I had heard a lot of people mention before that that an editor, especially in reality, you have to be somewhat of a politician because. Like I said, you're taking input from in so many different people and so at so many different levels. And sometimes there'll be a little bit of a power struggle above you. And you have to satisfy all these different people. So you have to figure out where that Goldilocks zone is in the cut. That is something there, like patience, teamwork, and a little bit of politics mixed in there.
2: The politics thing rings true for my side of stuff as well. Editing in this, re- in this realm of VR, I think that's probably a pretty common thing throughout just because you aren't the boss, you're not the boss, you're just the boss of your department. But there's all these other people, you know, above, you know, who have an opinion and care about things, different things that you are not, nor should you care about, you just do your work. But then, you know, other people's decisions influence what you, you know, your work eventually. So
1: I can imagine it's also the politician and also kind of the moderator is probably mm-hmm. the position you find yourself in kind mm-hmm. of moderating between people's wants and feedbacks and just kind of protecting the the story, as you said, like you're the one who knows holistically all the bits and pieces. And so it's a really critical role. But we've talked a lot about just generally this world. And I kind of want to map what we've talked about into some specific projects that you've been working on most recently. Fernando, in your case, the 90 Day Fiance off, Darcy and Stacey for TLC. Of course, the story follows the life of tribulations, the relationships of twin sisters, Darcy and Stacey Silver. Hugely popular, hugely successful. How did you get involved in this specific show? And we'd love to hear more about how you approached the edit for this specific property.
0: Well, I came on on season two. So season one was already done. And it was an old friend that I worked on before over here in LA. And he called me up and let me know. Because now, you know, we we can work remotely. You know, a lot of companies are working remotely due to COVID. So me being LA-based and them being in New York, they were looking for new editors. He remembered me and gave me a shot. And... I jumped on and it's been great, you know. Uh, but like I said, the franchise is there. 90 Day Fiancé and also the first season was there. So I try to catch on to what they're doing, what they expect. I like to think that we also gave it a, a fresh approach this season, you know, stylistically and s- story-wise. And it's it's very exciting, you know, the just the material they gave me. That's uh, just great stuff to work with.
1: Vanessa, for you, would love to chat about Baobab's, I'm going to say telly award-winning, but of course, multiple award-winning Interactive piece Baby Yaga. Am I pronouncing that correctly?
2: It's Mother Yaga.
1: Well, I wanted to make sure I clarified that, which of course was voiced by an incredible cast Daisy Ridley, Kate Winslet, Jennifer Hudson. This piece is described as inviting viewers to be a main character in a haunting fairy tale world completely reimagined. And it's their choices that determine the ending of the story of love, fortitude, and magic. And like with many of your pieces, the viewer has agency on how the story will unfold would love to hear how your critical editing work kind of brings that to life in terms of the choosing your own ending component.
2: One of the biggest things with editing in VR, I'll get the question a lot because, you know, an immersive experience is by definition driven by the, you know, the user, the person who puts on the goggles, walks around, there's no real editing in terms of what people understand editing is. But editing is just pacing. It's just giving information at certain times. And that's really what editing is at its at its foundation. And so what I found interesting about working in VR is that it takes a slightly different like brain click approach as an editor, because it's not, you don't use the, filmic ling- the visual filmic language, you use what's much more like theatrical elements, like sound cues, very sound driven to cause a viewer to pay attention to things when you want them to. And usually that's very aural right it's like some audio cue that oh you turn here and it like in the way that the sound design team then designs stuff it'll be on your right side or on your left or behind you or over here it's like very directional and so there's a lot of sound work and so a lot of this my work as an editor we're really just sound cue based even dialogue like when dialogue comes in and so it was a lot of just radio play editing in the very beginning just like okay here and a lot of it because animation has to come in afterwards and again a little different from typical animation it's the animators are, are kind of animating more to the editorial audio cues rather than editing being driven by the dialogue happening between characters it's, it's actually fascinating so with editing and vr it's a lot of these audio cues that then tell the animators the timing of things, right? And that's the back and forth all the time. And so to get to these interactive moments, it's the same thing. It's a lot of pretending we're the, I'm the user, I'm doing something and I get a choice. How much time does this character need to stand here? And Baobab is very, very particular about their, pausing and stopping and when you it's very not game like they want the character to always feel alive so there's not a lot of these like loops that happen in like gaming there you'll you'll see these a lot of loops where a character will just look like this they don't like that because that makes a person a user feel like oh all of a sudden I'm not with a real character anymore so they avoid that so it's this this little dance of like literally you know milliseconds sometimes of like okay now that's good you know someone would have made a decision by now in that my in in this time and so that character moves until you either make a decision or you don't. If you don't, the the story keeps moving forward. So it's a very, it's just timing. It's literal audio timing, basically. And so that's the foundation of of VR editing.
1: Do you feel like you ultimately still have editorial control knowing that in a way the audience member is kind of the final editor in that scenario? I guess you can still control the environment up until then, but that must feel very different that you know that you won't know what the ending will be because that's up to the... The participant.
2: I love that about it. I love that you get to c- control just only so much. And then a user kind of does what they want with that. I think that is also when all the ideas you think are going to work to guide a viewer actually work. That's another great feeling where you're like, aha, all the psychological tricks that we know about human brains are, it actually shows itself.
1: It's kind of user experience as well. Like with a product, it's kind of testing the user experience and how they're going to interact with your product.
2: We do a ton of testing. Yeah, we do tons of testing in order to get that the timing right with the with interactions and things like that.
0: I actually had questions about that. So Vanessa, I, I looked up your work, I saw wolves in the walls, which was incredible. I mean, I didn't see it with the VR experience, but I did see it. I did have questions about that, like when she hands them the Cheeto, and it turns into a rat tail, you know, and you're waiting for the interaction. And so you said that there's a bit of a radio edit where you set the timing and. There's not a loop. It's on Rails. It's on Rails. Okay, cool.
2: It's on Rails with with the Rails kind of, you know, it'll slow to give the viewer, the user time to do something, but then, and then it'll move and... You know, like Lucy will put the thing in the cauldron if you don't pick it and do it yourself.
0: She'll just do it. So the timeline can change then because the music, I noticed the music flows so nicely. So it's probably these transitional elements of the music that you use to smooth out between the scenes.
2: That's exactly right. Oh, the sound team's amazing with that. Yeah, and we work in these little chunks. So they are loops in a way. The chunks are so little that when you make a move, and it moves again. It's it's just long enough that you don't feel like a stutter, or you don't feel like you're saying it feels it smell it feels seamless.
0: Yes, exactly, because that's so difficult. Our timelines are static, and oh, when we edit, and uh, you know, it's always the exact amount of time. And you change music by just a few frames, and you like you mentioned, you're going to hear a huge stutter. So that's a huge challenge. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> it's very awesome. Yes, and watching the sound team take care of stuff like that, questions the back and forth. Such a huge learning lesson for me. Wolves in the Walls was the first VR story I worked on. And every day my mind was like exploding. I was like, wait, how are we going to do that? Wait, how are we going to do that? It was really amazing. A lot of script building, a lot of engineers doing really smart things in the background too, that I didn't fully understand, but I would use it, you know? So there was a lot of stuff that, I didn't fully get, but I understood from
1: my end what I needed to deliver and what I had to, you know, get back. But there's just so much to learn.
0: It was awesome. And it's super fascinating to me. I love it.
1: And actually, for my edification, what does on the rails mean? That's not a term I'm familiar with.
2: <laughs> what that means is, so you have, say, an interactive story. So the a story moves along, right? So there's like a static element to like, let's say there's a character, Lucy, that's like, come with me, right? She invites you to do something. And there's a certain amount of minutes seconds whatever that it just moves no matter what you do as a user you can try to touch her you can try to pick something up you won't be able to that means it's on rails like you can't as the user you cannot interrupt the timing you you could try but it's not going to work it's just because there's nothing in this moment in the story that is is asking you to do anything but if you do that too long it doesn't feel interactive anymore if it's too short it can feel very overwhelming so that again that's all you have to time that stuff really really perfectly and to users are so smart they're so smart they're so good you know (laughs) at like catching like feeling like uh i don't buy this anymore
1: that such a craft. I think for everyone listening, I, experiencing these, knowing the behind the scenes is going to be really intriguing to them to kind of know a bit of the magic behind behind the scenes. So, just shifting gears a little bit, we have many folks in our community who are either early career or mid career and thinking about moving horizontally within their fields and venturing into new areas, including new areas in editing. We've kind of touched a bit on it, but in terms of editing, do you think it's possible to move around with ease between mediums, So, editing a VR piece and then a documentary within a TV show? Is that within the realm of possibility for someone, for one human to kind of have all those different skill sets at hand to do that?
0: I think there's a lot of similarities in pacing and and, you know, feel. And, you know, storytelling, you know what I mean? And there, there's a, like, for example, in Wolves and Walls, and that sort of VR experience, it's very cinematic. You feel like you're in an interactive movie as opposed to just this video game world where you just walk around and walk into buildings and whatnot. And like you said, you're, it's on rails. So you're sort of driven. So it's story driven. There's a timeline. It's curated. It's it's it, You're presenting elements to the audience and drawing their eye. So, like, when I saw your work, Wolves and Walls, it reminded me very much of theater, how when in theater, you, you kill the lights and you bring it back and you have a set change. So theater crosses there. Cinema crosses there. Television, obviously, and cinema. I mean... Cinema, television, film, VR, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are just sort of the. It's a big gray area of really what it is is storytelling, and it's definitely storytelling and VR, not like I've seen VR back in the day. So this blew my mind when I saw it, because I was like, this is unlike anything I've seen before, where VR was very much like a video game. And now it's very much like an interactive film, almost like, a, I hope you forgive me for saying this, but it felt almost like a movie Disney ride. Like you're in the track and you're moving along, seeing the scene and you're intaking the story.
2: Yeah. And you can imagine once you like put in AI, like machine learning into a character like that. It just, it expands that whole idea even more If like, like, especially like a Lucy character can learn about you every time you try to tell a story, then the story would literally be different every time. And she'd even be like, oh, you again, I know you. I mean, there's virtual beings that exist. Lucy, the character from Wolves in the Walls, lives and breathes on the internet. She is a human android who lives online. You can talk to her, you can write emails to her, you can text with her. It's not much I can do as an editor with that stuff. You know, I worked on Wolves on the Walls and now Lucy is a virtual being that lives online. That doesn't have to do with me, but it does in a way. And that's what's really crazy. It's like, you know, I'm the one that edited her dialogue together that now they're using all that dialogue to have her machine learn how to speak. And so now she's putting sentences together that I didn't ask her to put together. As the editor, I didn't put that together. She gets to just talk now and respond to people. (laughs)
1: this is the future
0: i know it's crazy it's wild i feel like the biggest difference is the interactive element in television you don't have that everything's spoon fed to you but here you have an interactive element and you were you were mentioning i guess i didn't get this last night but wolves wolves in the walls are and all those sort of uh, vr interactive experiences the decisions that 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 the player makes deems where the story goes so there's different scenes that you can take
2: Yes. In Wolves in the Walls, it's very limited. That's a big part of the decision making process when you're making these things. In Wolves in the Walls, they really were like, we don't want to branch too much. But yes, there are other stories that branch a lot that you can go to like another scene. It's just that all that stuff is so expensive. It costs so much money that there is a world in which that would happen. But it, in the projects I've worked on, they've kept it pretty more on more on rails than not on rails. And then just the stuff that isn't on rails feels so good and interactive that you kind of don't mind that it's it's not as much agency as it might seem because the interactivity is so like seamless you know it's, it's tricky It's like a trick
0: so for me it comes across that that's the biggest difference between what she does and I do is the interactive element the closest thing we had in television was you know call in and vote for your favorite performer or you know <laughs> who who do you want to win the competition so when that yeah so that's the closest thing and
1: But I guess in terms of what I've heard you both talk about, if I could summarize and maybe incorrectly, but someone who is an editor needs to be a moderator, a politician. They have to be very patient, very diligent, and I guess have an innate curiosity, really solid sense of wanting to be curious and discovering new things is really critical to that. And, you know, I think when people you know, it's been a wild 18 months, our retooling, our reskilling, our thinking about what new areas they can move in. I think it's inspiring to hear that maybe learning these new ways of working is going to expand their, their opportunities and their careers. So it does seem feasible from what you've both discussed, which is great to hear for the future.
2: I think just this diversity of platforms is starting more and more to filter into productions and the way like a producer or hire might feel about who they want as an editor, like maybe it does make sense to get someone from this whole other kind of field for this particular project, because if we get someone from this more traditional, super traditional side, it might not work. And so I think there's a lot more of this flexibility thinking going on than it has been in the past, because I do feel, especially in like 08, when I graduated, I felt like there were very clear, like, ladders, like, editor in this and editor in this. And it's not very possible to to do lateral moves unless you want to know nobody in the new industry, you know? Like, it felt like a lot of that, and it's just not true anymore. I think that might still be, like, a holdover for some thinking, but I think it's very adaptable now, and it's only going to become more so over time.
1: It's very energizing to hear. Well, listen, our time is sadly coming to an end, but... Each episode, we are going to ask the same question of all of our guests, which is, what is the most surprising thing you've heard today from each other?
2: The um, level of stress that it sounds like Fernando deals (laughs) with on the day-to-day blows my mind. Hats off to you. It sounds like you deal with so many people. And I know as somebody who gets a little agitated whenever I get like one email and one Slack at the same time, I'm like, oh my God. I mean, the fact that, like, just those two little things will make me be like, what's going on? I can only imagine if you're getting all that coming at you. So I think the patience part that you're talking about, Fernando, is probably much more true. And I can tell with your demeanor, very your calm, patient. That is awesome. And I think hats off to you. And that was like kind of the most surprising. I already know what TV is very hectic, but to hear exactly how is impressive.
0: Uh for me, the biggest surprise was just being introduced to this whole thing. Like I don't have too much time to do gaming, and gaming is how you're introduced to VR. And if you're not in the VR world, you're not introduced to these things like Wolves in the Walls. When I was invited to come here, I, you know, you introduced me to Vanessa and I looked you up and I saw it, and I couldn't believe what I saw. I mean, just the entire world was the huge surprise to me, and I'm absolutely intrigued by it. I'm fascinated by it because it's absolutely i would, I would almost argue that it's the next step in storytelling it's it's you're going in the next realm and you're adding more elements for the audience to input and you know it's not like people think where you just have this space that you build like an architect and people are just roaming around in it. you're curating it, you're presenting it, you're drawing the eye, you're using many of the same elements that we use here, and that was a huge surprise to me because it's not what you expect and just meeting you too Vanessa it was incredible because to see your varied background and also how you took the film school route and went that route and you were also an assistant editor and you know and now you're an editor but it's incredible where this craft is going
1: do you think that means maybe we're gonna see a reality tv show in vr <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ooh. I mean why not <laughs> I mean, I imagine something like that. Imagine running around with, you know, one of those dual fisheye cameras and some sort of LiDAR and capture everything in 3D and then just, you know, bring it together. But honestly, I don't think you can, because the amount of footage we capture and the amount of time, it's just like, we got to condense 12 hours of footage into half an hour, you know what I mean? Or days and weeks of footage into that amount of time. So having it play scene by scene would be difficult, especially with all the dialogue work we do. Yes, yeah, so I think I think VR would definitely have to stay scripted and cinematic versus reality. I don't think that would happen. But live events, live events without a doubt, stage shows. I think live events and stage shows, multi-camera. Yeah, that could, I could I could see that as a possibility.
2: I mean, I can imagine people wearing cameras, you know, just little ones and running around and then you can go in and you can decide who you follow and like watch. So you can be the editor, you know, as you could be like, I want to be in this world now. I want to be with the lighting guy now. I want to be with the front man or I want to be or whatever. You pick the angle, exactly.
1: You had it here first, dare I say. <laughs> 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 well, with that, thank you so much for joining us. A really fascinating conversation and. I think the conclusion probably is that, yes, similar and also very different. And that's great. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: So wonderful meeting all of you. Wonderful meeting you too. Thanks for having me. This was a very, very eye-opening experience for me. I learned a lot.
1: Thank you again so much to Vanessa and Fernandez stopping by the Telly Awards podcast as our very first guest. Today's episode was produced by Dina Graham. Our editor is Alex Healy. Music is by Luciano Music Company, You can find us on all the social platforms at Telly Awards and I'm your host Sabrina Dridge and this is the Tele Awards podcast.